and turn to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, we're going to pick up in verse number 5 as you're turning there. I want to mention to you, if you've not yet stumbled upon it or heard about it, um, a podcast we've been doing for the past month or so called Where Will You Go? It's called the FBC Missions Podcast, FBC Tullahoma Missions Podcast. And uh, you can find that on our website. If you want to go there and just scroll down a bit, um, you'll see a banner there that, that says, Where Will You Go? Or you can find it on some of the podcast apps, I believe. Um, but take time to find that, listen to it. It, kind of, it will explain to you more about our missions philosophy here, how you can be a part of it, why we make such a big deal of it. Um, you'll hear from missionaries, both local and around the world. So we encourage you, if you haven't checked that out yet, to do that this week. Also, don't forget, right after the service, we have a lunch for a missionary in Papua, Indonesia, Trevor Johnson. He's had malaria 24 times, parasites, several other things that have caused him to have to come home. He's planning to be over in the ministry center. If you signed up for that, obviously we want you to be there. There's some extra food. There's some extra space. If you didn't sign up for it, um, we would encourage you, and you want to go, we would encourage you to come over. Let those who signed up to eat go first, since they did their, you know, did their part. But uh, it, there should be food for some extras, so don't go home wanting to come over there, okay? We will pray the Lord multiplies the food like he did the five, for the 5,000, and uh, you'll be blessed from hearing Trevor Johnson. Also, one more little word um, that you may not know about is obviously with all of the challenges of the past year our missions work here at first baptist has been kind of upside down and inside out and and uh spur of the moment uh, the borders in germany reopened so we had a really quick effort to put together a team to go and help our partner in germany june july 30th through august 8th 9th ish you're going to get those names in the coming week uh we really need you to be praying for them as they travel to and from as they work, that the Lord would protect them, watch over them, bring them home safely on time, and also opportunities to help give to offset the expense of that trip, which is more than general because we didn't have as much time to plan for it. But we have to roll with the flow and the punches here, so be on the lookout for that information. Luke 21, we're going to pick up in verse number 5, and I hope you have a Bible because we have come to a doozy as I like to say here in Luke chapter 21 and verse 5. Um, we're going we're gonna to have to look at this scripture carefully. Um, you're going to be glad you signed up for lunch so you don't have to wait somewhere after we get through this this morning. But we're going to look at Luke 21 verses 5 to 38. And we're really getting about as close as I'm going to get to end times theology from the pulpit. Okay? I have people ask me, so what's your end times theology? And I usually say, I don't know, and walk away. Because it's, it's not a point of unity, it's a point of division a lot of times. And it's difficult and it's mysterious. So I say all that to say we're getting about as close as we're going to get this morning. And if you disagree, then we're not going to argue over it. We're not going to have church splits. We're not going to start new Sunday school classes. We're going to look at this scripture together. We're going to come out on the other end, either agreeing or agreeing to disagree, and we'll all be happy when we get to heaven. Amen? All right, so Luke 21, we're going to start in verse 5, and we're going to walk through this scripture together, and it's going to be unorganized chaos, okay? Verse 5, what's just happened, remember, is the widow has followed these rich people through the temple, 
as they're throwing their big bucks into the plate, and the widow drops her last little bit in, and Jesus said, this woman's given more than any of these other guys have given. And now in verse 5, while some were talking about the temple, it would make sense they're talking about the temple, they're standing in the temple, right? While some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts. And let's just pause right there because remember who built the first temple? Solomon, right? That temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And then the children of Israel were led into captivity for some 70 years. They were brought back to Israel where Haggai, Zechariah, Zerubbabel, Shealtiel, those guys rebuilt the temple. And the young crowd was celebrating the the rebuilding of the temple from Haggai and Zechariah's viewpoint but the old folks who had been taken into captivity and brought back they were weeping because they looked at this temple and in their minds it could not compare to Solomon's temple so they were weeping tears of sorrow because the second temple didn't have the glory of the first temple and isn't that the way it is our memories are always better than our present reality we just need to keep that in our minds that our memories are always better than the present reality because we tend to remember the good stuff, right? And, and wipe out the bad stuff. Well, the reality was the temple wasn't as glorious, but prophesied by Haggai and Zechariah, it would have more glory than any temple. It would have more glory than Solomon's temple. And these Jews thought that that glory was Herod's glory because Herod shows up and he takes that temple of Haggai and Zechariah and he recruits 10,000 workmen. They build a thousand vehicles to load and bring in huge stones to to fancy up the temple, to make it mesmerizing, to make it majestic, to make it glorious. They rebuild the temple. They add on to the temple. They restructure the temple under a thousand priests who oversee the work. And they're looking at the stones and they're missing the, the one that was prophesied about that would make that temple the most glorious temple. He was standing there. His name was Jesus. Jews were all, they were impressed, they were proud. But look at the latter part of verse 5. He said, as for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another, which will not be torn down. Jesus had already foretold this and he had wept over what he knew was coming just a couple of weeks back. If you were here, you should remember we read in Luke chapter 19 verses 43 to 44 after Jesus' triumphal entry, he stops, he looks over Jerusalem and he says, the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side and they will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of because you did not recognize the time of your visitation these Jews in Jerusalem did not recognize the great glory of the temple who was Jesus Christ they did not recognize the visitation of Jesus Christ for his people and because they missed Christ they were going to miss their temple they're going to miss their mosaic system of sacrificing and feasts, and Sabbaths. Verse number 7, they questioned him, saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Well, now Jesus gives them six signs 
in rapid-fire order, and we're going to go through them rapidly. Six signs that he gives them. Are you ready? Number one, deception. Verse number eight, he said, See to it that you are not misled or deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time is near. Do not go after them. Clearly, clearly deception is an issue today. An issue, it's been an issue throughout church history. But it seems that the type of deception Jesus is referring to in Luke chapter 21 is a deception that is specifically applied to those who impersonate Jesus in some way. It's someone who would come and say, I'm Jesus, I've returned, I've come again. It's an imposter Jesus, an antichrist of some kind. 1 John 2.18, John warns his little children that it is the last hour. It is the last hour. And just as you heard that antichrist is coming, even now many antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. So there will be deception. Number two, there will be disasters. Verses 9 and 10, we see that these disasters will be national disasters. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. But the end does not follow immediately. Then he continued by saying to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. These disasters will be national, but they'll also be natural in verse 11. There will be great earthquakes. Revelation 6, 12 says, I looked when he broke the sixth seal and there was a great, what? Earthquake. Read on in verse 11. There will be great earthquakes and in various places plagues and famines. These are natural disasters. Revelation 6, 8. I looked and behold an ashen horse and he who sat on it had the name Death and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. So there will be earthquakes. There will be in, in various places plagues and famines, and then there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Revelation 6, 12 and 13, I looked when he broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. And the whole moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. There'll be deception. There'll be disasters, both national and natural. There'll be deliverance to death. We going too fast? Verses 12 to 19, there'll be deliverance to death. But before all these things... Notice that he says before all these things. Before the deception, before the disasters... They will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So, make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. For I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain 
your lives. Here is how these times are going to start. They're going to start with great persecution. And when great persecution comes, the deceivers will come who say, I'm Jesus, I've come to save the day. Disasters will come, both national disasters, wars, rumors of wars, and natural disasters, earthquakes, pestilence, famine, skies. Fourth sign. Verses 20 to 24, the destruction of Jerusalem. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, this is verse 20, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city, because they, these are days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Verse 23, Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into the, all the nations in Jerusalem, will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Number five, Jesus is just unloading here. They asked, he's answering in rapid-fire rapid order. We've got deception, we've got disasters, we've got deliverance to death, we've got destruction to Jerusalem, and now we have distress in verses 25 and 26, distress or dismay. Verse 25, there'll be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then lastly, not lastly in this sermon, you're not getting out that early, you know that right. But lastly in Jesus' six signs, the day of the Lord. Verse 27, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. The day of the Lord. Now, what do we make of this? Before I start telling you what I make of this, let me say that a lot of our understanding of passages like this come from Left Behind series books. Kirk Cameron movies, John Hagee's 947 blood moons, comets, and whatever other heavenly phenomenon he can come up with to sell a book that I would recommend you not read. Did I say that too fast or should I go back and do it again? A lot of what we think and believe is shaped by what we hear people around us saying, preaching, propagating, selling, marketing. Rather than just backing up and looking at the Scripture with glasses that don't have any lens in them, but the lens of Jesus. And that's very difficult to do. Especially when you don't have all day to do it, right? So I'm going to tell you what I see in this passage of Scripture, and I'm going to tell you why I see it, and we can agree to disagree, or we can agree. But I see in this passage of Scripture an immediate fulfillment of New Testament prophecy. See, we always think of prophecy as thing, this prophecy is, is things out here. And a lot of times I've heard this passage of Scripture, maybe it's just me, but I've heard this passage of Scripture used to preach on the end times and how things are going to end when Jesus returns and the dead are resurrected and everything wraps up history. 
But I see this as I read it this morning, and I think I'm going to help you at least understand why I see it that way if you don't agree. I see this this morning as not some way out there future prophecy, but something that is very immediate to the people Jesus is speaking to. And let me tell you why, and this is not one of the points, so just hang on tight. This is just an extra freebie right here, okay? In Old Testament prophecy, generally the times that are referenced are treated as literal. And the activity that is described is treated as symbolic. So when God warns that in the coming days He's going to turn the skies black and run the streets in blood, this is just an illustration, then literally he would mean this is coming soon, but the sky's not literally going to all turn black and the streets aren't necessarily going to all run neck deep in blood for you, but it just means it's going to be nasty. So it's symbolic. The the activity is symbolic. The timing is literal. We come to the New Testament and here's what all of our smart people seem to do. We all of a sudden flip-flop in our minds and we start taking the times as symbolic. But the activity as literal. So Jesus, you know, he said it was quick. But he really didn't mean it was quick. And those flying scorpions, they're really going to be flying scorpions stinging you for six months. That's literal. And it may turn out that way. And if it does, it's going to hurt for six months. But if we treat the New Testament like we treat the Old Testament, we should look at the timing as literal and the activities as symbolic, not vice versa. Now, that doesn't make as good of a movie. But it's consistent. And I want you to see how, how often Jesus and the disciples use the words quickly, soon, and near. That's the first reason I say that this is an immediate fulfillment of New Testament prophecy. The use of words like quickly, soon, and near. Hang with me. Let's look at these passages of Scripture together. Let's try to lose our presuppositions and just read them like we're first century Christians hearing the words of Jesus for the first time. You ready? Matthew chapter 10, verses 22 to 23. And Jesus says to his disciples, you will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who is endeared to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Now let's just take that at face value. What Jesus is saying is, they're going to persecute you here, persecute you there. You're not going to make it through all of the cities in Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now you mean to tell me we've been around 2,000 years and and the gospel hasn't made it to all the cities in Israel? We know that's not true. We know the gospel's gone throughout Israel, right? So apparently Jesus meant something different by his coming in this context than we often mean. Or we're misunderstanding something somewhere. Bear with me. I know I'm scaring some of you to death. Just hang on tight. Matthew 26, 64. Jesus said to him, who's he talking to? He's talking to the high priest to his face. And he says, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter, you will see, what will you see, high priest? You, high priest, will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, did Jesus lie to the high priest? 
or did he tell him the truth? He told him the truth, right? He doesn't lie. Now, I want you to just bounce back over to verse 27 real quick and look at what Jesus said. He says, they will see what? The Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Maybe we don't need to think about clouds up there. We might need to think about dust clouds down here. That's just a hint of where we're headed. But he told the high priest, you're going to see me coming on the clouds of heaven. 1 Peter 4, 7. Peter writes, the end of all things is near. It's near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. James 5, 8 and 9. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge, the judge is standing right at the door. That sounds like it's imminent, doesn't it? That sounds like it's immediate. Revelation 1, 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. Revelation 3.11, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take you down. And I have a whole lot more. You want me to keep going or do you see the point? A lot, a lot, a lot of scriptures reference that this coming of Jesus or the end of the age, as it is sometimes put, is coming quickly. It's at the door. It's near. Now, why would they say that if it's 2,000 plus years out here in the future? Second reason I think it's immediate. The context of the scripture we've just read. Let's not miss the context of the scripture we just read. People will take this passage of scripture and they'll use it to preach an end time theology. This is how the end times are going to unfold. But let's look at the context of the scripture itself. This passage is not about the second final coming of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. This is about the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem. Go back to verse number 5. While some were talking about what? The temple. That it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts. He said, as for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. They questioned him saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen? What things? The temple being destroyed. When is this going to happen, Jesus? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? You ask, I'll tell you what the sign will be. There'll be deception. There'll be disasters. Natural, national. You'll be delivered to death. Six signs he gives them right here in the passage of Scripture. And we find out in, in A.D. 70... What happens to Jerusalem? A.D. 70, which is only about 35-ish years from Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. What happened in A.D. 70? A million Jews perished because Rome barricaded Jerusalem and shut it off, and there were plagues, and there were pestilences, and there were famine. You know that they opened the doors at Passover. And let all the people go into Jerusalem for Passover just to shut the doors and keep them in. 
So they overcrowded Jerusalem, locked them in, let them start starving to death, let them start spreading disease. And they still fought. The rebels still fought against the Romans. And when it was all said and done, a million Jews were killed in the war. The Romans crucified Jews by the thousand. One report said that the only reason Rome stopped crucifying Jews was because they had run out of wood. The city finally surrendered and the Romans deported 97,000 plus Jews and sold them into slavery or shipped them off to various areas of the Roman Empire to be slaughtered in the arenas for entertainment. That sounds pretty nasty, doesn't it? And do you know who survived? Get this now. Do you know who survived? Look in verse 21 of chapter 21. Jesus said in chapter 21, verse 21, Then those, when they see this happening, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. And those who are in the midst of the city must leave. And those who are in the country must not enter that city. Don't enter the city. Do you know who survived? It was the people who heard the words of Jesus and believed the words of Jesus and took heed to the words of Jesus. And when they saw the Romans start circling the city of Jerusalem, they got out of Dodge and they ran for the mountains and they ran for the hills and they didn't enter the city. And think about this. They're not having to go on 35 years of memory of hearing Jesus in the street because both Matthew and Mark record the same instance, the same teaching of Jesus and Matthew Matthew and Mark were both written somewhere between A.D. 50 and A.D. 70. The Gospel of Luke was written roughly around A.D. 60. So these manuscripts have been written, they've been passed, they've been copied, they've been read, they've been shared. The Christians heard the word of Jesus, believed the word of Jesus, and got out of town. And they were spared the judgment that Jesus is warning about in Luke chapter 21. This is immediate And it was necessary for his followers. Verse 28, Jesus goes on. When these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now what on earth does he mean by that? We need to understand that in in the first century, for the most part, the Romans and the outside world viewed the Christian community as merely just a small sect of Judaism, just a harmless, small sect of Judaism. And the most intense persecution of the early Christian church came not from the Romans initially, but from the Jews themselves. Look back in verse 12. I told you you are going to need your Bibles. What does Jesus say in verse 12? Before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the what? The synagogues. Do you know what was common in the first century? That's not common now? Synagogues. And Jesus says specifically they're going to deliver you to the synagogues. And then there's a man by the name of Saul who is a Pharisee of Pharisees who in his zeal to glorify his God and maintain the integrity of the Torah goes after these Christians, this new sect of Judaism. And in Acts twenty two nineteen, 19, he said, I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, 
I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. Acts 26, 11, as I punished them often in all the synagogues. I tried to force them to blaspheme and being furiously enraged at them. I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Paul is saying, I did exactly what Jesus prophesied would happen. I persecuted the church. I delivered them to the synagogues. I was part of the fulfillment of this immediate prophecy of Jesus. And what happened in AD 70? The temple was destroyed. And not only was the temple destroyed, but there was no mention of Pharisees, Sadducees. There's no... There's no Law and order in the sense of religious police skirting around the city, persecuting Christians. The Mosaic law has crumbled. The Mosaic system has crumbled. And the Jews are no longer a threat to the Christians. Their redemption from the pressure of the Jewish religious leaders has come. And you know what else I think of? I think not only their redemption from the persecution of their Jewish Persecutors, but the redemption of the pressure of the law. There's no more sacrifice. No more sacrifices. No more Pharisees walking around pointing out your flaws and where you're missing your life. You're carrying your mat on the Sabbath. Oop, you took too many steps on the Sabbath. Should we leave Grandma out in the field? She fell. It's a Sabbath day. Should we leave her in the field until tomorrow? Or should we... Bring her in, and if we bring her in, what happens if we drag her on a mat and we dig some furrows, then are we plowing? I mean, can you imagine living this way? That's not just something I made up. That's real life in Judaism. And I just think of Saudi Arabia. You know that we have Saudi friends, and we know about them, and we know about their life in Saudi. We know what it's like. Could you imagine if in Saudi Arabia just one day everything was taken down Islam was taken down. The religious police, were, their authority was gone. Man, the redemption has drawn nigh. We don't have anybody watching over us to make sure we're covered right, to make sure the women aren't driving, to make sure that we're at the mosque five times a day, to make sure we're not eating during Ramadan, to make sure that we're dotting all of our I's and crossing all of our T's. There's freedom. Judaism is coming down. And their redemption is drawing near. Verse 29. Then he told them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you will see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. When you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Is Jesus telling the truth, misleading, being mysterious here? Or is he saying, when you see a fig tree bloom, you know fruit's coming. When you see these things happen, the fruit of what I've said is coming. And this generation's not going to pass away till they see it. Heaven and earth, verse 33, will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Remember, we're talking about the context of this passage of Scripture. And the context of this passage of Scripture is very specific for the immediate people that Jesus is talking to. Mark 13, 29, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. At the very gates. What city had gates? You know, we think that Romans came in judgment. It was Jesus coming in judgment. He may have used the Romans, 
but it was Jesus. You know that Jesus used the Assyrians to destroy Israel. God used the Assyrians to bring judgment on Israel in the Old Testament. Then he turned around and punished the Assyrians for being so cruel. And just like that, God can use the Romans in the New Testament to bring judgment on the Jews who crucified His only begotten Son and said, let His blood be on our hands and on our children's hands. Then He can turn around and He can crush the Roman Empire for being cruel to His people. Jesus says in verse 34, Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life, and that they will not come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now during the day he was teaching in the temple, but at evening he would go out and spend the night on the mount that is called Olivet, and all the people would get up early in the morning to come to him in the temple to listen to him. I think we see from the context of scripture that Jesus is giving some immediate warnings so we have all of the near nears soons quicklies we've got the context of the scripture and let me just give you one more so that you know that I'm not a complete looney tune we've got Old Testament prophecy go back to Malachi the last Old Testament book written before the 400 years of silence and before the coming of Jesus In Malachi chapter 3, I want us to look at verses 1 through 5. And listen to what Malachi is prophesying. And listen to the terminology he uses, okay? Malachi chapter 3. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Now notice what Malachi is saying. I'm sending a messenger before, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, the day that was coming, the day that would burn as a furnace and refine. That doesn't sound pleasant. And then in Malachi 4 and verse 5, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, who is Elijah the prophet? Jesus himself said in Matthew, I think it was chapter 11, he said, do you want to know who Elijah was? Elijah was none other than John the Baptist. He was the messenger who paved the way for my coming 
who's warning of the great and terrible day of the Lord, the day that will come with fire. And in the words of one writer, Russell, he said, Therefore it must be sought, this great and terrible day of the Lord, must be sought at no great distance from the period of John the Baptist. That is to say, the allusion is to the judgment of the Jewish nation when their city and temple were destroyed and the entire fabric of the Mosaic polity was dissolved. If John the Baptist was paving the way for the great and terrible day of the Lord, then we can't say John the Baptist came and some 2,000 plus years later comes the great and terrible day of the Lord. The great and terrible day of the Lord was A.D. 70 when the Lord showed up in a cloud of judgment and a cloud of Roman soldiers to judge the Jewish people for rejecting his son and to bring down the temple and to remove their false, insignificant, insufficient sacrifices now that he had come and given himself as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world and who said, it is finished. So what in the world does this mean? If this prophecy was immediate and immediately fulfilled, it means that we are now in the age of the Gentiles. And we Gentiles are a critical part of the kingdom. The Jewish age has come to a close with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. The end of the age, the end of the Jewish age has come. The temple's been destroyed. The new covenant has been ushered in with the church. And now we are in the time of the Gentiles. Romans eleven twenty five 25 tells us, I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. God judged Israel. God judged the Jews as a whole. He hardened their hearts because it's our time. It's the Gentiles' time. Our time has begun. Look in verse 24 of Luke 21. What does it say? Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. With the destruction of the temple, the Jewish age ended and the time of the Gentiles has come. Do you remember just a couple of weeks ago, Jesus told a parable that set the Jewish leaders off. And the parable was about some vineyard workers who had rented a vineyard from the owner of the vineyard. And they would not pay up. They would not give what they had agreed to give. So they persecuted his servants. They persecuted those that he sent until finally they murdered his own son. And what did Jesus say at the end of that parable? would the owner of the vineyard do to those wicked workers? He said in verse 2016, he will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. In A.D. 70, he destroyed the vine growers. He gave the vineyard to us. And we advance that kingdom to all the Gentiles and to the Jews. Who, by the way, are coming to faith more rapidly than ever in history. Which gives us a hint that the age of the Gentiles might be coming to a close sooner than we think. And listen, we advance that kingdom and we will be successful. We will be successful. We are guaranteed success. Could you imagine being deployed by a commanding officer and saying, I want you to go into the bloodiest, most dangerous battle on the planet, but I guarantee you success. 
Doesn't that give you some momentum? Doesn't that give you some boldness? Revelation 7, 9 and 10 says that there will be a multitude which no one can count from every nation, every tribe, from every people and tongue standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand praising the Lamb. We will be successful. And the age of the Gentiles will last until the end. And then the end will come. And what does the end look like? Well, the Bible tells us what the end will look like. And I think in simplest form, this is what the end will look like. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17. Due to time, we're going to just use this one verse. But it, it has everything in it. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17. Look at what we learn. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. There will be a return of Jesus. He is coming again. It's not like he came in a cloud to Jerusalem in judgment, and he's not going to be faithful to come and get his own at the end of time. No, he's going to return. The Lord's going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. There'll be a return, and then there'll be a resurrection. The dead in Christ will rise first. The dead who know Jesus Christ, who have died under the grace of Jesus Christ, will be resurrected first, and then there'll be a rapture. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. It's going to be return resurrection, rapture to the Lord in the air, and then we will always be with the Lord. He he will reign. There's your four R's. A return, a resurrection, a rapture, and a reign that will last forever and ever and ever and ever. And the question we need to answer this morning is, are we ready? Are we ready? You know, you think about how foolish, how absolutely foolish those first century Christians, first century Jews, who had heard Jesus say, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, run. Run, flee to the mountains, don't come to the city. How absolutely foolish they would have been to just sit there. Honey, I think we've got time. Let me, finish up my, let me finish up my retirement, and then we'll leave. Honey, I think we've still got a little bit of time. Let me, let me watch the last inning of this game. Honey, I think, we've got, I think we've got enough time for me to catch one more bass, kill one more buck, make one more buck, live a little bit more of my best life now. I think we've got some time. How, we would look at those people and say, what kind of fool? When they know Jesus tells them when Jerusalem's surrounded, get out of Dodge, would lollygag around. If you want a theological word this morning, there it is. Lollygag around until the gates are shut. And we have to ask ourselves the same question this morning. What kind of foolish person would ignore Jesus' invitation? To turn away from their sin. To deny themselves. And to take up their cross. And to follow Him. 
What kind of fool? would hear the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ came to this earth to live the perfect sinless life He demands of you, to die the death God's justice demands of you, to be buried and resurrected so that you this morning, if you would turn away from your old attitudes and affections and passions and desires and sin and self-righteousness and would run to Jesus and throw yourself on His grace and His mercy alone, you can be saved saved from the wrath to come, what kind of fool would ignore these invitations? And yet, we lollygag. As the age of the Gentiles could be coming to a close. In Romans 11, Paul said that God cut off a natural olive branch so that a wild olive branch could be grafted in. That wild olive branch is us. He cut off the natural Jews and grafted in the Gentiles. And he warns, don't be prideful. Because if he cut off the natural branch, don't think for a minute he won't lop off the wild to graft back in the natural. We're not promised tomorrow. And the end can come whenever he good and well gets ready for it to come. It could be right now. And not only do we lollygag around when it comes to total surrender to Christ, but with how we invest our lives, the only thing that's going to matter when we stand before him is did we know him and what did we do for him? We've got the world before us who needs the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We've got resources at hand. We've got life. We've got our breath. And if we believe in a future resurrection, let us lay it down for the world to come and stop wasting it on the one we see around us. Let's live like we believe the words of Jesus. Let's live like we believe the words of Jesus. And let's run to Christ. And then let's run for Christ. Would you bow with me? Ms. Lisa's going to come play. Tom's going to come. We're going to sing in just a moment. But I want to pray for you. And I want to ask the Lord to do two things. One, if you do not know Him, I want to pray that the Lord would awaken you now to the reality that you need Christ. That if He were to return this moment, that you wouldn't be ready to meet Him. I'm going to ask Him to grant you repentance and faith and total surrender. And peace with Him. Secondly, I'm going to ask the Lord to stir in us an urgency to be faithful Gentiles with His kingdom. We would spend and be spent to see the gospel go from our lives to our families, to our community, to the very least reached peoples on planet earth by any and every means necessary. Praying, giving, sending, spending, going, Let's live like we believe in the second resurrection. 
And if you need prayer or you want to be at the altar and pray, now's your time. You come now. Andy's here. Michael will be here. Now's your time. I'm going to pray for you. And if you need prayer, you come as well. And then we're going to sing. God, thank you for your grace, your mercy, your word. God, we thank you for the truth and the clarity and the reality that you are coming again, that you will resurrect dead bodies who, of those who have trusted you and you'll give them glorified bodies and you will snatch us up to meet you in the air and we will reign with you forever. And I pray now that if there's a person in this room, young or old or in between, male or female, God, that you would show them if they did not know you, if they are not ready to meet you, I pray that you would show them now their need. Grant them repentance. Grant them faith. Break their hearts. Give them true surrender to you. Save them now, Lord. Help them to call upon your name. God, for the others who have peace with you, I pray that you would stir us to spend and be spent for your glory from here to the ends of the earth. Help us to live like we believe in that future resurrection. Move our hearts. Move our wills. Help us to respond as you would lead us to respond as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.